Right, today's reading is from Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put, up, to put up your old self, which has been corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, <coughs> created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off the falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For we are all members of one body, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been steely must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building and to building up others according to their needs but it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Thank you, Gifty, for reading to us and Chuck for leading us today. It's great to be continuing in this wonderful series from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So, Please turn back with me to page 1175 uh, of the Church Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to go back a bit. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Daniel taught us from the first part of chapter 4 as Paul moved from the theology to the application of his letter for the Ephesians, how to live as God's people, the church, built on the rock of Christ together as we strive for unity so that we can display God's great wisdom and plan, both to the spiritual realm and on earth. To look back up to verse 1, which speaks of living a life worthy of the calling that you and I have received, which is the unity that we should be striving for in verse 3. And then verse 11 speaks to the gifts that King Jesus has given to us, including pastor-teachers, of the word, that is the Bible, so that we can be built up in unity and maturity in verse 13. And this is something 
that we do together as a church. But verse 16 makes it clear that we each have a part to play. And so now Paul's application moves on to the personal challenge, our individual response and responsibility to the word. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I can't just rely on everyone else to be the shining example that God holds up to the world. No, I need to play my part too. And that's why we can't do church alone or at home and why our pastoral team cares and visits those who are unable to be here. We welcome and encourage everyone to come and uh, worship with us if that's at all possible, which gives us joy as a church because these things shine out the love of Jesus. And so thank you to everyone who goes out of their way to ensure that our church family stays connected as verse 16 teaches. Moving on, today's message then, A Life of Love, is bookended, starting with Paul's command in verse 17 and then uh, picking up and finishing in chapter 5, just over the page, verses 1 to 2. So Paul's command in verse 17 is this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility uh, of their thinking. So we're to stop living as the world does. We're to stop living as we ourselves once did. And instead, reading chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we're exhorted by Paul to follow God's example and walk in the way of love. And that's what God wants to teach us today, to walk and to live a life of love. We know that's not going to be easy uh, for any of us, following God's holy and perfect example, but... There are three reasons to do so. First of all, it's a strong command. Paul doesn't just tell the Ephesians and tell us this. He insists on it that we must no longer live as we once did. Secondly, if we get it right, remember the beginning of chapter 4, then we will help support and build up the church, helping it to shine brightly as God's, um, God's plan of salvation for the world, to speak that out. And thirdly, We have help to do this, don't we? We have the pastor teachers, we have each other, we have God's spirit, as we'll come on to see, and we have Christ's example. Uh, So with all those things ahead of us, let's pray before we get stuck into God's word. Dear Lord, help us, we pray, to be attentive to your speaking and to know what areas of our characters you want to change for our good and for your glory. Amen. Our first point, then, is that we are to live life in Christ, which we'll pick up from the first uh, eight verses of this section. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, and he's emphasised in chapter 2 the gulf between who they were before they became Christians and now. They moved from death to life. They moved from being far away from God to being near to God that the Christians in Ephesus had received new life and a new identity in Christ. And it's the same for us who have submitted to Christ. In verse 24, uh, tells us that we were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, just as Adam was created before the fall. And we fell, though, too, into sin. And we hardened our hearts against God like the Gentiles did. And yet, we're restored, we're repented, and we trusted in Christ. 
he exchanged the filthy rags and sinful clothes that we were wearing for his robes of righteousness. But that is not all. That's not the end. As our identity has changed once and for all as Christians, so Paul highlights that to the Ephesians and to us that our behavior and our characters must change to reflect who we are, to reflect our new identity in Christ. So maybe think of it like this. Dressing up as an astronaut doesn't make you an astronaut. But when you become an astronaut, you've got to put on the uniform. Or there's going to be a big problem, isn't there? When you get into space and you step out to take one giant leap for mankind, there's a problem if you're not wearing that space suit. And it's the same for us too. And that's what Paul is teaching us. He's getting pretty blunt about this. As we read in verse 17, you must no longer live. And we see in verse 18 and 19, maybe just read them uh, for yourselves, we see, we see ignorance in that life that we once had. And we, we see ignorance without God's love, without his ways. And that leads us down a slippery slope. It leads to insensitivity, it leads to indulgence, and it leads to impurity. So Paul tells us, don't live as the Gentiles do or as the world does, as you once lived, because this way of life incurs God's wrath. And if you read a very similar section in Romans 1, there's more words in verses 18 to 32, you'll see this unpacked, that if we're living apart from God, not just apart, not just separated, as it says here, but alienated from God, then we will incur his wrath. But that's not where we are now. Our eyes were opened. We saw the truth and we repented of the sensuality and greed that separated us from Christ. We're no longer separated or alienated. We're joined to him in Christ. So how could we go back to all that past futility, all that meaninglessness? So Paul tells, the Ephesians tells us to put off our old selves. All the things that separated you from God Stop doing them now. So the first big challenge and question for us today is, did we put off the old self? Are we living our new life? Is the transformation in Christ visible in the church, to our brothers and sisters, to those outside of it? And how is it visible? Is there unity in the church? I think there is. Are we striving for it? I think we are. But who's not striving for unity of the church? Is anybody working against the, the unity of the church and the gospel message? These are things we need to be careful of and to watch out for. And the direction of travel matters. We need to learn to change. The Christian life is new to us, and it's hard. Paul reminds the Ephesians they didn't just change overnight. They had to be taught. The Christian life is knowing the truth that is in Jesus, it says in verse 21. The Christian life is being made new in the attitude of our minds in verse 23 and in verse 24. This is a whole new life, a whole new you. The person you were created to be in Christ, not someone different every day like Mr. Ben from number 52 Festive Road, if you can remember that far back, visiting the fancy dress shop every day, or if you can't remember that far back, like Mystique from the X-Men, not like that. No, the whole new you is like God himself in righteousness and holiness. And if you're thinking, well, I've tried that, 
but it didn't work. I couldn't keep it up. You're not alone. This will take time and perseverance. It's why Paul uses this guest getting dressed every day language. We must come back to the cross every day in repentance for when and where we've messed up. And if you're not a Christian here this morning uh, or looking in online, can I just take you back to verse 18? Listen to Paul when he says, don't harden your hearts. Listen to what the Bible says about Christ and what he has done for you. So the first point then is that you and I uh, were not just new creations. We have a new life to live in Christ. And our second point speaks to how we're to live that new life, how we're to love in the Spirit. Coming on to the rest of the verses in chapter 4. Transformation from death to life is an incomparable gift and a blessing to us. But we know there's more to do. God's not finished with us yet. We're still l Christians. And I'm not sure uh, most of you will remember this. Uh, the L-plate from your youth. Some of you may still be learning to drive. But the truth is, as Christians, we're all learners of Christ. We're all learning to love. We're all learning to live the Christian life. And that is from the newest Christian to the seniorest pastor. There's no one on earth who doesn't have an L-plate uh, on in the Christian life. We are nowhere near the goals of verses 12 and 13, the unity and maturity that Christ is wanting and died uh, for us. So what Paul does is he sets out a list and a series of key priorities to help the Ephesians and to help us focus on specific areas where God wants to shine and wants us to shine from the inside out. And these eight verses that we're about to dive into are probably the most, some of the most important character-building verses we can dip into and study, perhaps correctly, love character verses. Uh, this is what we're to do to shine. And it may be helpful to simplify and link them together, so I've pulled them together into sort of three couplets, and I'll call them out as we go. First instruction that Paul gives us in verse 25, and again, notice this is a personal responsibility for each of us, is to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully to our neighbours. Just as the Christian Institute reminded us so helpfully on Thursday evening, the Good Samaritan acted as a true neighbour to the Jewish traveller. And that's right, this change in us is for the whole world to see, and God uses us to witness to the world. But we need to start closer to home here with our church family. So that means no self-serving lies, no half-truths, no cover-ups. Be straight up like God's word is. Give thanks for our word ministers and honour them by speaking truth to each other. And in verse 29, we see it's not just truth, but only what is helpful for building others up, just as each person needs it. So ditch the unwholesome talk. At best, it's hot air. At worst, it's demeaning, demoralizing, and damaging for our brothers and sisters and the church. Focus instead on building others up. And if you're sitting wondering how you do that and you don't know what to say, then that probably means you don't know the other people in the church well enough. So find out more about them, uh, that person, that family, those people, so that next time you meet them, you can encourage them and help build them up. 
And of course, our small and local groups and one-to-ones are perfect for doing this. And that's why we have refreshments after the service, so that we can get to know each other better and that we can speak the truth and speak encouragement to our brothers and sisters. The second warning that Paul gives is in verse 26 and 27, and it's to be careful not to give the devil a foothold in anger. And you don't need me to tell you that it's when we're upset or angry or we feel wronged that we're most vulnerable to react, to say or do something that we shouldn't do. In fact, Paul emphasises this is so important, the anger is so corrosive that we're to deal with it today. Don't let it fester, don't let it build in you, not even for one night. There's a place for anger, of course, verse 26 talks about uh, anger, but it's referencing Psalm 4 in the Old Testament, if you look it up, uh, you'll see that it is righteous anger. You remember the story of Jesus overturning the tables of the money changers at the temple. Uh, He was righteously indignant that God's people had turned God's house into a a place of money worship as opposed to a place of God worship. So there is a place for righteous anger, but there's no place for anger and bitterness. And verse 31 makes that clear, doesn't it? We're to get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling and all slander which is easier said than done, but all of those attitudes and actions, we're told, grieve the Holy Spirit who is living in us in verse 30. Did you notice that as Gifty read it? In many ways, these words are some of the most unsettling, perhaps, that Paul writes. But I think it's good that we feel shame and that this reminder jolts us to change because if we change, it will help us and help build up the church, and maybe just by way uh, of encouragement, uh, contrast, if you like, the fact that the living, loving God is within us, and every time we say or do something that we shouldn't, or we act with indifference, or selfishly instead of out of love, God knows that, his spirit knows that, and sees that, and is grieved, but contrast this, Eric Little, the Scottish sprinter of chariots and fire fame, said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me run fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. So I think it works both ways. And if we work and serve and live for the Lord faithfully, so in turn he is pleased with us, and then he can hold us up proudly as part of his glorious church. The third command uh, or third of the couplets that I've put together here is in verse 28. And it echoes the Eighth Commandment. And clearly, some Ephesians were struggling to break the habits of a lifetime of crime. Uh, But don't steal, says Paul. And if you're sitting smugly uh, or watching online, remember there's lots of ways that we can steal in God's eyes, even holding back from giving what is rightly his, is stealing in his eyes. Eric Little knew that God created him for a purpose, and God gives us a purpose too in serving him, um, in living for him, and in work. Just as God worked in creation to display his glory for the world to see our work too, if we have a job, if we're blessed with a job, and even if we didn't, 
the things that we can do to serve and work for the Lord bring fruit. There's fruit from our labour which, from which we should give back to God directly. And by the way, that's with my treasurer hat on, that's the first fruits of our labour, not the leftovers for God. And of course, if we have fruit of our labour, we can share that with those of his people, our brothers and sisters in need, which is what the early church did in Acts. You'll remember maybe in chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to get everyone, give to anyone who had need. And again, we have to know people to know if there's a need, which is also why uh, we encourage sharing and encouragement in our small and local groups and why there's a note in the news each week asking for any in need to shout out so that we can share with them. And in 30, verse 32, we see too that the Holy Spirit guides us into God's truth and helps to renew our minds. So it's not only financially that we can share, but we can love each other too by being kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving one another, which, if you like me, doesn't always come naturally, does it? And the key in that verse is just as Christ forgave you and me. And as we pray together the Lord's Prayer, it's a powerful and important prayer. We're asking God to forgive us just as we forgive others. And it's that way around, which is, makes it hard uh, and is a challenge for me, and I expect a challenge for you. But with God's help, with his spirit, with his word, we can learn to be kind. We can learn to be compassionate. We can learn to see as Jesus sees um, and we can love and forgive each other. And that is important for the unity of the church. So just a few points as we finish that section to emphasise, as we've finished this sort of rapid-fire character diagnosis and continue the ongoing process of renewing our minds. First of all, speak truthfully was number one on the list, underlining that we're one body of believers with one Lord, and one single version of the truth should prevail amongst us. But Paul calls out selfish anger as particularly dangerous to us personally and because it can so quickly undermine the church and our unity. Secondly, don't despair of where you're at. This is God's word today to teach and encourage us. Yes, radical change is required, but radical change is inspired by God's Holy Spirit God's heart is inspired by God's Holy Spirit with, all whom, with whom all Christians are sealed. So don't despair of where you're at. Keep trusting the Lord. Keep calling on his Spirit to help you change. And all these things are difficult, aren't they? And we'll often fail. Uh, we've still got our learner badges on our heads. But as well as God's Spirit in us, we have the gifts of our pastor-teachers, from verse 11, and we have each other in verse 16. We can share in our small and local groups. We can share in our one-to-ones and over tea and coffee after the service. And there's one more important thing that I mentioned at the start, which Paul references in closing this section. Our third and final point then is keep following God's example from chapter 5, the first couple of verses. Paul switches back to the plural here, referencing the whole church again. 
reminding us that we're dearly loved children in verse 1 and that Christ loved us first in verse 2. So, so no matter how often we grieve the Holy Spirit when we get things wrong or slip back into sin, Father God looks at Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for us, and his anger is satisfied and it's extinguished, leaving only his love for us as dear children. And that is an astonishing and uplifting picture for us, I think, but it's also an imperative for us, for me certainly, when I think of that Christ gave himself up for me and you, and he's still interceding for us. And remember too from chapter 3, as we heard from Kevin a couple of weeks back, that we can be filled with the power displayed in the love of Christ and in his death and resurrection. So let's just run back through those earlier verses from 25 to 32 to see what that might look like, to see through Jesus' eyes what we might be like if we uh, act in his power and display his power. Jesus spoke truthfully always, even to his exasperated parents at 12 years old. He was never selfishly angry as we are. He never gave the devil a foothold. He worked as a carpenter with his hands and he shared with those in need. He knew the first and last need of every person he met in his earthly life and every person alive today by the Holy Spirit. He spoke what was helpful to build those people up. And did you notice? Those people who would listen to him. He never grieved the Spirit of God on earth nor his Father in heaven. Jesus was kind and compassionate to all people, forgiving in abundance. He truly loved us and gave himself up as a perfect sacrifice to save us. So yes, the Christian life is tough. We're wearing the L plates and we still get things wrong. And in fact, it's fashionable in our culture these days for Christians to be marginalised, regarded as weird, and to be persecuted even for following Jesus. Wearing the clothes of Christ makes us stand out. But we're not weird. In fact, it's completely the other way around. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 8. So this is from the story of the demon-possessed man who was naked and wild and living outside of the town when Jesus um, met him. Uh, and you'll remember that the demons rushed into the pigs and into the sea. And then uh, the passage reads, The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. So that is the model of what it means to be in Christ, to be dressed and to be in our right minds. And yet, the townspeople came out and they were afraid. All the people of the region asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. And the man who he had restored um, to life, to love, wanted to go with him, but Jesus said, no, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. So do you see what's happened? That is the radical change that Jesus um, encourages and Paul exhorts in us. And the church of that area, um, this man worked, I presume, with them. And this is an example of another one of the gifts of God, an evangelist for the town that didn't want Jesus but got 
his message anyway. And so we may not be, or may not have been, hope we're not, we may not have been demon-possessed, but take heart, as Paul wrote to the Romans, don't conform to the world, instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind and live the life of love that God intended for you. And if God has been speaking to you through his word today and challenged you in any area, please do speak to me or Sheikh or any of the leaders after the service. We'd be happy to talk it through and to pray with you. And if anyone is harboring anger or resentment today, I reckon you've got until the start of the evening service tonight to get it out of your system. Uh, 18, 12 to be exact. In the meantime... And this week, let us keep on praying to our Father God to give you, to give me the power to change with his Spirit's help. Keep putting on your new self daily. Keep following God's example in Christ Jesus and keep walking the way of love so that together we will remain united and maturing as a body of believers for God's glory. Amen.